This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. You're just not got a free shot all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big lie? MAGA media. I wish in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome. It is uh, Holy Saturday, 8 April in the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, welcome. Uh, we do this uh, special every year, and we're very honored this year to have as our uh, as our guest, Dr. Tom uh, Williams. Dr. Williams, before I get into you've written this book, and it's really, uh, I want to spend a better part of the hour going through the argument in the book, because I think it is of this weekend, the holiest weekend in the, in the Christian calendar for people to contemplate exactly where we are as a faith in, in the persecution directed towards the faith. Um, to, to, to walk us through from a Catholic perspective, the, the, the importance of Holy Saturday. You know, people know Good Friday and the crucifixion of Christ, Holy Thursday with the Last Supper and the arrest, Gethsemane, and then you've got... Um, but Holy Saturday kind of a lot of times gets lost in the mix, and obviously with the, with Easter. But talk, what's the importance of Holy Saturday, and particularly this belief of, of Christ's descent into hell? Yeah, there are, there are two things. Thank you, Steve, and, and it's good to be with you on this very, very holy day. Um, there, there are two traditions that go way back. One, the, one that goes back furthest is the one you just mentioned, the idea of Christ's descent into hell. Um, it's a hell that's a little different than the way we understand hell today in the sense that he went to lead out the souls of the just who had died before his coming. Uh, it's a basic Christian belief that up till Christ redeemed the world, up to the time of his suffering on the cross, uh, all those good and holy prophets, men and women of God who had lived uh, since the time of Adam, since the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, they had not been able to go to heaven. They had not, heaven had not been opened to them. A savior was needed. And the, the traditional understanding of that was that they were in hell. Hell not as in condemned for all time, the way we, we think of hell as having been judged and found unworthy, but hell uh, more like our understanding of limbo, the old traditional sense of, of kind of in a, in a waiting place or in a place of the dead, a Gehenna-like place. And that Jesus goes, and there's, there's a beautiful homily from the second century, um, one of the earliest Christian texts we possess outside of biblical texts, where uh, the author describes Jesus talking to Adam and his conversation with him 
and because he is the new Adam and inviting him to stand up and to take his rightful place. And then all the, these crowds, the multitude of the just uh, who lived in times before Christ, rejoicing in the salvation that has finally come to them, that they are now able to enter heaven. How is this? It, it's something that's been been lost in, in modernity. It's not really discussed of, of Holy Saturday and, 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 and Christ going into, you know, going to hell to, to bring, I guess, the pagans or the people that were there that hadn't had the, uh, the living word of Christ on earth when they existed, right? The great philosophers and all that. Why is it like so many of the other teachings? And one of the powerful things about your book is to go back and really emphasize the early church, what happened in the early church, the persecutions of the early church, to make sure you understand, to make sure we understand it, particularly that it was directed at the Christian faith. Why with modernity have people kind of lost, has Holy Saturday in the general Christian faith overall kind of lost its its place? Well, unfortunately, Steve, I, I think you know that answer better than I do. It's it's this kind of sunny, feel-good form of Christianity and Catholicism that is so prevalent in our day. We only want to talk about the nice, fuzzy-feeling kind of stories and the parables and the sheep and the you know, and the things that make us feel good. Uh, it's not only Jesus's descent into hell that we don't talk about on Holy Saturday. We don't talk about hell itself. We don't talk about the possibility of condemnation. We don't talk about judgment. We don't talk about the eternal truths. And this is, we're not doing justice to the fullness of the Christian message when we pass over these essential, central uh, teachings of, of the Christian and the Catholic faith. So I think that's the kind of the short answer to this. It's also something very tough for people to understand. Um, you know, again, we don't talk to, about hell at all, but look, in the Apostles' Creed, what do we say? We say, he descended into hell, right? I mean, it's, it's actually there, but we, nobody goes and explains, bothers to look, what does that even mean, right? This idea that there was an entire human race of those who had been deemed just, whether they were, as you say, the pagan philosophers and those who were, who were just uh, Gentiles, if you will, but also... Um, all the Jewish patriarchs and prophets, all the Jewish holy people who had not been able to enter heaven until Christ opened it for them. Uh, this is something absolutely remarkable and wonderful, and it is mysterious. It's something that is very hard to understand, um, but it's something that is at the core of what we believe as Christians, and it's so good that you bring this back by having us talk about this on Holy Saturday. Um, a second thing, I'll say this just as, as kind of a segue so we can, we can go back to the other as well. Another part of the Christian tradition is uh, a great devotion to Mary on Holy Saturday. There's There's been for many centuries a devotion of special consolation to the Blessed Virgin Mary who knows a sorrow and an abandonment on Holy Saturday that the rest of humanity does not experience. And, and the reason that uh, Saturday has always been considered Mary's day, uh, the day after her passion in a way was on Saturday and Christ's passion was on Friday. That's why we celebrate the Immaculate Heart of Mary always on a Saturday, the day after we celebrate the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It's her sharing in the passion, but also in a in particular way of having Jesus, her son, taken from her. These, this day of mourning, this day of loss, when she experiences um, this desolation of soul because her beloved son, Jesus, has been taken from her. She watched him suffer and die, 
and now he's laid in a tomb. And so there is also that beautiful tradition of consolation to, to the Blessed Virgin Mary, particularly on, on that Saturday. Dr. Williams, I, uh, the, um, so much of your book goes back to what was it about Christianity <clears throat> that, what was it about Christianity that had, that had the Roman state actually make it an official part of policy to, 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 to persecute it? And I want to get into what the Christian message, message was and why it was so different as an organized faith. Uh, because I think it relates to your your message is really in, in the subtitle of your book is very chilling. It's it's called the coming Christian persecution, the coming per- Christian persecution and the subtitle, why things are getting worse and how to prepare for what is to come. And uh, I can tell you, and I've known Dr. Williams for a long time, is that this is an incredibly chilling book because of the intellectual rigor you, you, you bring to this topic. The reason I want to do this on Holy Saturday with you is given this, what's just happened in uh, in Nashville at the Christian school. And, and more and more information comes out about this. The young woman who did it obviously planned it, planned it for a while. She had gone to the school. I think she was actually in counseling with, uh, with the pastor or one of the senior people there. And it looks to many people in the United States and and nobody wants to talk about it. And they certainly won't let it be talked about in the mainstream media that this uh, persecution of Christians is actually, we're actually entering a quite dangerous phase of it, particularly when the mainstream media has said, well, you know, it's Tom Williams and Steve Bannon and, uh, and these Dr. Martin Taylor Marshall and our Marshall Taylor, all these, all these uh, people are all Christian nationalists, right? And they're the dangers. They're the, they're the domestic terrorists. Walk me through why your book really, um, quite frankly, you give people a heads up that the Nashvilles of the world are not going to be the exception. They're going to be the rule, sir. Well, that is, yeah, that is the unfortunate reality. It's it's not a very cheery book. It's meant to be an honest book. It's meant to be uh, a book that digs in and also, uh, in a way, a hopeful book in the sense that Christians are always called to live by hope and especially when things get darkest. Uh, But the reality is that things are simply getting worse, and they're getting worse in a particular way, in an accelerated way, in the post-Christian West. And it's what I find most distressing. Um, There have always been active persecutions among non-believers, among other religions that find uh, Christianity uh, intolerable, among atheist communist regimes. Uh, This is something that we know exists, and we're, in a way, prepared for that. What we're less prepared for I think is our own society, which was founded on principles of religious liberty, founded on the worship of God. I mean, the first pilgrims who came over did so because they wanted to be able to worship in peace and freedom. Uh, That society itself turning against Christians and using, as you say, this language to tar Christians as being the problem, as the obstacles to progress, as you know, really as bigots, as Christian nationalists, as white supremacists, all the different epithets that you want to apply to Christians to make Christians out to be the bad guy. And what do we do with the bad guy? The bad guy, like the ogre in the, in the, in the fairy tales, has to be eliminated. You call out your pitchforks and you chase them out of town, you string them up, you kill them. And this is something that unfortunately um, we often look at as just, uh, this, is, this is rhetorical, but it's not just rhetorical. And it's so easy once you've kind of painted Christians in this way, Christians who take their faith seriously, uh, I'm not talking about the 
accommodated Christians who, who go along with the radical secularist agenda, but those who really take their faith seriously will be more and more portrayed as the enemy and a dangerous enemy. And a dangerous enemy must be uh, fought tooth and nail. And I think uh, the Covenant School in Nashville is a perfect example of this because that rhetoric, that anti-Christian rhetoric, which sometimes gets very, very abusive and very violent among the LGBT and particularly the transgender um, lobby, uh, it becomes something that this, the enemy has to be eliminated. And, and we see examples of it. In this case, this is not the first attack by a transgender person. And as you noted also, the mainstream media will always go back and rewrite the narrative. They will always paint the transgender person as the victim. Oh, because they're so ostracized in society, because Christians have been uh, you know, speaking against them for so long, it's just natural. It's just that, that Christians would finally get their comeuppance and that people like this would rebel against them. Were you, uh, we're going to go to break here in a second. Were, were you shocked? Uh, I guess you were not about how the media handled, because here we are, you know, last week in the nation's capital, just yards from where we're, we're, we do the show, uh, there was, there was going to be this, um, a transgender day, I think of violence or vengeance, yes. transgender day vengeance. of vengeance. It was ca- canceled last night. We, we, we've demanded that the manifesto, because she wrote a manifesto, that that be released. They're suppressing that. They don't want to put that out. Were, were you shocked about how the, the coverage of this went down? That, that, that There's no mention at all about it really being a Christian school and an attack upon Christianity, sir. Well, no, it's it, it played out like, you know, this kind of dystopian reality where everything is twisted. Uh, at the beginning, no one wanted to say that she was transgender. No one wanted to say that she identified as a male, as a man. Uh, this is something that they suppressed for a while, and then it became just common knowledge. And so uh, that was the, the, the narrative that was given. Weirdly, they did not refer to as her as a man. In any of these stories, for some reason, they took her biological sex as the reality, perhaps because that's the way the police report uh, initially uh, portrayed it. But at least that was true to the to the facts. But the fact that they completely flipped um, on its head, they didn't want to talk about, again, the Christian school, that, that this was a targeted anti-Christian attack and that the, the, the perpetrator was transgender. And then later on, as you say, there's still this confusion as to motive. I mean, I think the motive's fairly self-evident, but the fact that we actually have a document, a text, a manifesto, and yes, that they won't release the manifesto. Tom, just hang on for one second. We're taking a short commercial break. It's our Holy Saturday special, The Descent into Hell, The Coming Christian Persecution. Tom Williams is our guest. I admit it. I don't make the best food choices. The CDC says that I should eat six cups of fruit and veggies a day. Now, there's zero chance I'm eating six cups of fruit and veggies a day. But according to a massive study, people who do eat healthy live longer, have less heart disease and diabetes, and have less cancer. Now, I take Field of Greens, and I'll tell you why. Unlike other fruit and vegetable supplements, each specific fruit and vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected to support specific functions like heart health, liver and kidney health, immune system, and metabolism. I take Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast. And if you're like me, you feel healthier, have more energy, your skin and hair look healthier. And it can help you lose weight. 
But the biggest benefits is that better health promise. Take Field of Greens, and at your next doctor visit, if your doctor doesn't say something like, whatever you're doing, it's working, keep it up. Return it for a refund. Let me repeat, it's the better health promise. Take Field of Greens, and at your next doctor's visit, if your doctor doesn't say something like, hey, whatever you're doing, it's working, keep it up, then return Field of Greens for a full refund. And to help you get started, I got you 15% off your first order. Plus, get another 10% off when you subscribe for recurring orders. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code Bannon. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code Bannon. Do this today. You will feel healthier. You will look healthier. You will act healthier. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code Bannon. Do it today. Okay, welcome back. It's Holy Saturday. We are talking about the persecution of the Christians on uh, the uh, day in the calendar that is Christ's descent into hell before the, um, before the resurrection tomorrow. Dr. Tom Williams joins us from Rome, uh, is uh, the author of this new book about the coming persecution of Christians. He's written a number of books before. Nothing this, uh, Tom, nothing this, I'm not saying dark, but this book grabs you and you realize because a lot of people would say, well, Christianity is being persecuted right now. You actually say, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. I want to go back to this concept uh, and it, it gets bandied about a lot, but I would like you to, to, to define it for our audience. The post-Christian West. What do you mean about post-Christian? How did we get there? Because we think of the Judeo-Christian West as a society and culture really predicated upon, you know, Athens, Jerusalem, and Rome. And, um, and, and, you know, how was that formed? What did it mean? And why do you say and can point to that we're in a post-Christian society? Well, I, I think, uh, Steve, that this is the United States. This is Europe. These, these are uh, the former Christendom, if you will. Um, the societies that were that were built on, as you say, in a particular way, Athens and Jerusalem and Rome, and especially in terms of its, its, its legal tradition, uh, these were brought, this was the, the humus, if you will, in which this society grew. Uh, it was based on a Christian understanding of the human person, on society, on the family, on the state, and the relationship between the state and the individual. Uh, these were principles that come from the Judeo-Christian tradition and that were accepted as just in the West as a, a common heritage and a common sense approach to reality. This is the way the world was understood. The world was intelligible because it was made by an intelligent being, that there was, you could see the, the God's footprints everywhere, his fingerprints on his creation, uh, that, that man was created male and female, uh, that, that the family was one man and one woman and their children, that, uh, that, Life has value and dignity and must be defended and upheld, um, that people should love their country. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas speaks about that. He says the same way you love your parents, you love your country because your country gave birth to you. He speaks of the word piety in, in terms of loving your country, this piety toward, toward your country. All these different virtues and values that were part and parcel of the Christian tradition, which are now vanishing. They're evaporating before our very eyes. And a very 
uh, hostile mentality, one that is anti-Christian, is post-Christian. And for a while, I think we were sort of content to live in this post-Christian kind of miasma situation where, yeah, we, we kind of know where we came from, but even if we get rid of those roots, we can still live off the, 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 the benefits of the, those uh, basic beliefs. But now it's more and more hostile. They want to reinvent the founding of the nation. They want to reinvent the principles. They want to negate the good uh, and make it look like everything grew out of evil and that everything needs to be restarted in a new name. Um, I think it's a very, very evil and, and, and extremely dangerous project, the one that is coming now in what is not just the post-Christian West, but is becoming more and more the anti-Christian West, where Christianity is looked upon as the enemy, where Christians are looked upon as obstacles to progress, as people who, as one uh, author likes to call it, you know, are stuck in the Bronze Age with this Bronze Age Bible of, of myths and stories, uh, this very dangerous attachment to an obscurantist past and not allowing uh, this radical secular, uh, secularist agenda to unfold. And that's the kind of battle that we're headed for right now. How did uh, talk to us about the first century church? What was it about Christianity that was different? What was it about Christianity that caused the first persecute, the great persecution, and everything that led up to that? Because in understanding that, you can then begin to understand the coming Christian persecution. That's essentially the thesis of your book, right? You must go back in time and understand what differentiated this from other religions, what differentiated this as a faith, to see that the re- the strong reaction of the Roman state against it leading up to the great persecution, sir? The, the, the Roman Empire was all about assimilation. It was all about, it, it was a very tolerant state as far as it goes in the sense that as long as you can integrate your beliefs, your belief system, your religion into this greater pluralist Roman society, as long as you're willing also to sacrifice to the emperor and to burn incense to the emperor, as long as this is part of it, you can have your little cults and your rituals and your and your diverse things. We're very open-minded, but your allegiance must first be to the state and it must be to Caesar, who is divine. And Christians obviously could not abide by this. And it was primarily uh, their higher allegiance to God that in the end— put them in a situation of necessary conflict with the Roman state. The other group that somehow escaped this, and, and, and scholars give an answer to why they escaped it, was were the Jews living within the Roman Empire. And the reason was they would technically have been illegal as well because of their unwillingness, obviously, to sacrifice to other gods other than Yahweh. Uh, the difference was that whereas the Jews were content to kind of keep to themselves. They were not a proselytizing faith. They were not going out there to make converts. They were not preaching on the streets. They were not uh, bringing people into the fold. The Christians were the exact opposite. So you had Christians, and this really alarmed uh, powers within the Roman Empire, whether they were emperors themselves or local governors at different times, the persecutions ebbed and flowed. Um, But the problem was so many people were converting. Christianity was so powerful and so attractive that you had people from the very poorest to to the the patricians and the very wealthy. Uh, It was something that spanned every class and every uh, social group so that you had soldiers 
and you had politicians and you had artists and you had literary figures all being very attractive uh, and coming into the Christian fold. And so this was something that really caught the attention of the, the, the powers of the Roman Empire and was looked upon as something that could not be tolerated. Um, and again, there were times when it became extraordinarily hostile when uh, they would hunt down Christians wherever they could find them. At other times, even some of the more considered to be more enlightened and benevolent, uh, the emperors like Trajan. Uh, Trajan's basically, uh, Trajan's philosophy was, and he writes this to Pliny the Elder in, in a letter that we still have, he says, you know, don't, don't hunt them down. But, you know, if they are brought before, if there are complaints made, if you find out about them, bring them in and make sure that they are willing to sacrifice the emperor. Make sure they're willing to abjure this higher allegiance to their god, or they shall be they shall be prosecuted, uh, and they will be put to death. And this is something the, that even under the, the more enlightened emperors, this happened. One one of the things about the book is very chilling is to show that some of the the emperors, and it's almost like the modern world, they understand these Christians have the deep faith, but they're kind of saying, hey. All you got to do is light some incense. All you have to do, you don't have to give up what you really believe. You just have to light some incense. You just have to be performative and we'll look the other way and you can go along and lead your life. And it's obviously more important to lead your life and have your community if you just do this performative. And about the Christians is said, I can't do that. That is, that is to the core of it. It's very chilling because many of the Roman emperors, many of the Roman officials make a quite modern argument Right. They just just be performative. Just just do this so that we can get past it, because we're not we're not that interested in, in, in snuffing you out. We just want to get past this. And what's amazing is the Christian has said, I'm not doing that, that that to light one, you know, one thing of incense in front of a a, a statue, not just the polytheism, uh, but a statue of uh, of Augustus Caesar or whatever, you know, whatever emperors at the time cuts to the core of my being. It's It's very chilling that the Christians had the option and were dangled often, not all the time, but were dangled the, the option of just be performative and go about your business. They said, no, that, that it's performative to you, but it cuts to the core of my faith and I won't do it. And they were then, and, and they told them, Hey, you're going to have the most heinous tortures if you don't. And they said, Hey, it, it's, it, it is what it is. Tom Williams. Yeah. And this, unfortunately, this is exactly what we see today. There will always be the, the great, temptation for modern Christians is accommodation. It is that willingness to do the, the modern equivalent of burning some incense before the statue of Caesar. Uh, and this is something, that's why the Dick Durbins and the Nancy Pelosi's and the Joe Bidens of this world are embraced by radical seculars. This is a Christianity that they can live with. Oh, you've got a rosary in your pocket. You're my kind of Christian because obviously your Christian faith does not impinge upon any of your moral beliefs, any of your political stances, uh, it is something that doesn't change who you are. And so we like you. We, we, we will embrace you because you are willing to burn that incense to Caesar. Um, and for Christians who take their faith seriously, they are the enemy. If you're, you know, Amy Coney Barrett and you come in and the dogma lives loudly in you, you are not acceptable. We will not give you a place at this table. We will do everything we can to thwart um, your rise here because we don't trust you, because we disqualify you because of that faith, because of that deeply held belief, because of that devotion that you feel. You are not able to be unbiased. You're going to be problematic in your, in your rulings uh, because of that faith that you possess. 
So we see how, you know, history really does repeat itself. It is those Christians who are willing to live by their faith and take it seriously enough, they are the ones who are going to suffer for it. And if you're willing to accommodate, if you're willing to say, hey, you know, whatever, we can't stop progress. If this is the way society is going, let's just all get on board. Let's get on the bus and they'll let us keep our rosaries. You know, those are the ones who are going to do just fine. Uh, hang on, uh, Tom. We're going to take a, a break. We're going to talk about, by the way, we wouldn't have had Christianity bequeathed to us as it was if the early church had been accommodationist. They weren't. They would not accommodate. And that led to the rise of the Judeo-Christian West. Short break. Dr. Tom Williams on the other side. Americans have had it. They're done supporting companies that rake in hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars, while trashing the country that made their success possible. Until recently, we had to take it. But companies like Patriot Mobile are building a whole new economy, one which embraces the values that made America the greatest country on earth. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks so you can get the best possible service in your area. Plus, they offer a coverage guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch to a different network for free without changing carriers. All this, plus the knowledge that you're supporting free speech, the sanctity of life, the Second Amendment, and our military and first responder heroes. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash Bannon. That's patriotmobile.com slash Bannon. Or call them right now at 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code Bannon. We need to stand together and support companies that share our values. Remember, Stop giving monies to companies that hate you. Support the Patriot Mobiles of the world. That's patriotmobile.com slash Bannon or call 878-PATRIOT. Uh, Holy Saturday, 8 April in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is our annual tradition of Christ's descent into hell. We always have a special guest that can walk us through some of the issues that the church faces. Uh, when someone of um, a profound thinker as Tom Williams actually takes a year or two of his life to write a book about the coming Christian persecution, why things are getting worse, and how to prepare for what is to come. Well, first, I want to deal with how is it getting worse? What are the signs of that? What should we be looking for before I, we get we pivot to how do you prepare for it? Tom, where do you think we are? Because I think a lot of Christians are just waking up to the fact of this is serious. And I think the Covenant School shooting is just the first of, uh, of, of several things that now people can kind of tie these together to say, I see something that's quite dangerous here, in particular the language that's being used, sir. You know, the basic thesis of the book, Steve, is that the drivers of Christian persecution are intensifying. And the traditional and historic bastions against Christian persecution, those that uphold religious liberty, those that, that defend and, and protect Christians, are weakening. 
Um, and this, these two things going hand in hand set up a situation where things cannot uh, but get worse. And there's a problem which, you know, I, I hope this book will address this problem, will alleviate in some way this problem, the widespread ignorance as to the magnitude of the problem. The, people do not realize how many Christians are actively persecuted around the world and how this persecution, which is very bloody in many places, is becoming bloody right before our eyes, even in the post-Christian West, even where persecution used to mean for a Westerner, you know, a little ostracization, a little bit of ridicule in the academy, a little bit of, oh, isn't, isn't that sweet, that, you know, devout kind of uh, benighted figure. And now it's something that becomes more and more hostile, more and more aggressive. And we are going to see more of this kind of uh, violent attack because there are no voices speaking out on behalf of Christians. Uh, Christians are considered to be a majority. They're considered to be well-standing. They're considered to be able to take care of themselves. And as soon as Christians start raising their voices and say, this is not a good situation, the way that, that Christianity is being portrayed and, and the dangerous rhetoric being used, then you get the stop whining. You know, why don't, don't be a whiner. Don't complain about your situation. And even among many Christians, they're held back in speaking the truth about what is going on because they don't want to look like that. They don't want to be the one who's complaining or, or shining a light on that very, very problematic area. Tell me about when you say the institutions that used to be there to prevent this are not there anymore, that this is starting to ramp up and they're not there. What do you mean by that? Well, let's start with the, the Western media. Uh, the Western media simply ignores, but ignores, um, I don't really believe that it's because people don't know what's going on. There's an unwillingness to investigate and there's an unwillingness to report on the reality of Christian persecution around the world. It's something that is intentionally withheld from people. And so we talk, I talk to people all the time, very right thinking, good people who have no concept of the reality of Christian persecution in the world. They just do not understand how widespread it is, how violent it is, how, how terrible and terrifying it is in the world, because they never hear about it. They don't happen to read, you know, websites, the Christian websites that actually investigate this, those reports that come out, which are never uh, covered, obviously, on, on mainstream but, media. But, but, so one of the, not... but one of the reasons, but, but hang on, but one of the reasons they don't know it is that it's not preached from the pulpit. It's not preached in the evangelical church. It's not preached in the Catholic church. It's, you know, all you hear, and particularly in the Catholic church, some in the more mainstream Protestant churches, is dialogue, right? Is dialogue. You never hear this coming from the Vatican. You never hear it preached on virtually any pulpit of a Catholic church on a Sunday. You very rarely uh, hear it from any of the evangelical or the even the outside of the mainstream uh, Christian preachers, unless somebody is, is tied to missionary work in sub-Saharan Africa, or they're tied to missionary work in the, uh, in, in the, in the, in the Middle East, like in Iraq. I mean, isn't one of the reasons we're not hearing it, 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 it it's not just the mainstream media's in the media's fault. The church, the, there's something about the church is not putting this front and center as that, hey, there's a problem here. They're coming after us in a very organized way, whether that's in communist China, in sub-Saharan Africa, in in, uh, in 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 eradication of the Christians in the cradle of Christianity, which is the the Near East or the Middle East. I mean, isn't one of the central things to hear that either because of they're afraid to talk about it, or they just are they 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 like their international organizations, and they don't want to be out there 
actually defending Christianity that the more official aspects of the Christian and Catholic Church won't address this? Well, you're absolutely right, uh, Steve. Um, I, I think there is a very strong tendency to want to assimilate, to want to just get along, to want to say this brotherhood of man. It's like John Lennon's Imagine. Everybody, it's, it's so prevalent in mainstream Christianity, this sense of, you know, we're all the same. Uh, the religions are all basically the same, but all different paths to God. Uh, one's just as good as another. Nothing should separate us. Nothing, we shouldn't be arguing about this. We shouldn't be, uh, you know, pointing out differences. We shouldn't be living out to the full who we are. We should be willing to accommodate and to bend and to fit in. This is, and, this, and this is, but see, this is what the emperors, this is what the savvy and smart emperors cunning emperors in the in the in the first century and second century offered up was the accommodation just be performative all you got to do is burn a little bit of incense you don't even ha- they, they didn't even demand that you believe it all you have to do is just give me give me a little burn there in the dish and go about your merry way isn't that exactly what's happened here with the with the institutional church in in the 21st century when the church is under as you make in the book one of the things that's most compelling you actually make the case that the persecution today in the 21st century is probably worse in any metric you want to want to look at than than in the, the first and second century of the early church, sir. Yes, well, that is that is the, that's I think verifiably statistically true. It's just the the pervasiveness of of Christian persecution in the world. The fact that 75 percent of people who are persecuted for whatever faith they belong to happen to be Christians that there are some 360 million Christians who live under severe persecution in danger of their lives every day. These are, these are facts and figures that are, that are so startling and so, but again, so uh, unknown. Uh, this is really the untold story that so many people are ignorant of. But I agree with you. And look, you know, the Catholic, Catholics in the, in the United States, we have a whole history of this. There's always been a temptation because Catholics were very persecuted early on as, as you know, the Irish and the Polish and, the, and sometimes Germans. And they did everything in their power to make it look like, oh, I'm, I'm first an American and then I'm a Catholic, right? And this was, this was a temptation. It was a temptation to fit in, to assimilate, to make it show that you're a better citizen, show that you're, and this, we got John F. Kennedy out of this, you know, the one who said, you know, I'm not, I'm first an American, I'm going to be an American. Um, and this is something that there's always been a, a struggle in kind of the Catholic spirit in the U.S., but it's only more recently the evangelicals and the Protestants have joined in that same timidness and that same unwillingness to say, you know, I am a Christian and I uphold and my allegiance to Jesus Christ is actually superior to any other allegiances I have. And it's what makes me a good citizen. What makes me a loyal patriot is because I actually do believe and I believe that, that I should be loyal to my nation. Um, but this is something that we're very afraid of right now. We're, we're so afraid of not fitting in. We're fo- so afraid of being considered uh, to be obscurantist, to be considered to be, you know, less cool than the academics who, who say that this is something that's very passe. We all want to fit in. And this is this is the great temptation of our day. And it's why so few people are willing to stand up and be counted and just say, hey, yeah, I'm an educated person and I am a Christian and I believe in the creed. I recite it on Sunday and I believe it. And I try to, you know, base my life around this because these are the truths that actually give firm grounding to my existence and explain reality to me. This is what explains human existence and my personal existence in the most cogent, 
coherent way that, that I've ever seen that I can imagine. Uh, but many Christians don't want to do that. They want to keep that away in the little catacombs of their house. And, and when they walk out on the street, they want to look like everybody else. They don't want to be seen as somehow different because it's dangerous. It's, it's uncomfortable to be different. Uh, but, but this is the world we live in, and we have to stand up or else we're going to get the situation that we're getting right now. Did you see any, because I know you follow this, and we follow it quite closely, do, do, do you remember any big names in, in, in either the institutional Protestant church or the Catholic church, or even come up and condemn what happened against the children at the Covenant School? Was there any outrage at all in the Christian community as far as you saw it? One person that I saw, and I, I do follow this as closely as I can, uh, Franklin Graham, uh, whom I'm a big fan of, I think he's he's a, a worthy scion of his father, I, um, did, did make a couple uh, very interesting Facebook posts. He's got 10 million followers, and he brought this up and, and said that was, he said, evil walked into that school that day. He, he actually was very... Uh, poetic and very, you know, stern in the way that he described the situation. Um, I mean, he hasn't gone into the whole question of this transgender in the way that the, the mainstream media are, are addressing it, but he did definitely come down very, very hard and, and brought up the fact that these were Christians who were killed because they were Christians. I mean, isn't you, you, your warning is why things are going to get worse. Isn't one of the reasons it's going to get worse because Christian leadership, if Christian leadership in the Catholic Church, the mainstream Protestant churches, leading evangelicals, were to basically draw a line now and say this is going to stop on our watch, isn't that one of the most important things? Isn't that the beginning of stopping it getting worse? Absolutely. Um, but part of the reason it's going to get worse is because we're just not seeing that. And I think that even when an, an isolated Christian leader or a Catholic bishop in some diocese stands up and makes, you know, makes a strong case, right now uh, those bishops are not getting support from Rome. They're not getting support if, if you're a Protestant pastor. You're not getting support from your community. You're not getting support from the other pastors. You're very much alone. You're like a Jeremiah uh, preaching, and you're not feeling like you're getting a lot of love for that. You're not getting a lot of support. And I, and I think that that is the reason this, this very tiny minority of those who are willing to speak out, we're just not seeing the kind of leadership we need right now to bring attention to the, to the dire reality that we're living. Uh, Tom, if you could hang on for a second, we're, we're going to take a short commercial break. We've got uh, Dr. Tom Williams, who's the author of many, many books, uh, principally about theology. He's written this really for crisis uh, crisis publication, the coming Christian perse persecution with someone as uh, deep and profound as uh, Dr. Williams uh, takes on uh, about the persecution of the Christian church, particularly the subtitle, why things are getting worse and how to prepare for what is to come. If you're, uh, if you're a believing Christian, it is quite stark a uh, book, but a, a must read and more importantly, you must understand the argument. Okay, we're going to take a short commercial break. We're going to return in the war. This is our special uh, every year we do this on Holy Saturday as we await uh, as we await Easter Sunday, um, the um, the descent into hell. So we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back in a moment.
Getter has arrived. The new social media taking on big tech, protecting free speech, and canceling cancel culture. Join the marketplace of ideas. The platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download now. Okay, all weekend we're going to be up on uh, Getter, so make sure people can download it, download it for free, and uh, and check it out. Uh, it's our Holy Saturday special. Dr. Williams is going to stay for this block and then the beginning of the, of the next block. Um, Dr. Williams, why, did, why was Christianity able to survive the, the immense persecution of the Roman state, particularly that era called the Great Persecution? In your mind, why why was it able to persevere then? And what lessons does that have for modern man? Well, uh, the, the the short answer, I think, is that fantastic line from the, the Christian apologist Tertullian, who said that the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians, uh, and that not only does that not stop us uh, when, when we're persecuted, it actually makes us stronger, it makes us multiply. And I think that that was something that Tertullian could say because he saw it happening around him. Uh, and I think what it really was was not the persecution itself, but it was the the witness of those who were willing to die for their faith was so compelling. When so many people are just worried about saving their own skin, just worried about the comforts in their life, just worried about you know making their way through, not getting any bad attention, those who are willing to actually shed their blood for Jesus Christ and for their belief in him, that was something that was overwhelming. And it was something that I think inspired many, many generations of followers to want to share in that same sort of devotion, that same sort of all or nothing spirit of what it really means to, to, to be a Christian. And I, and I think that that is something that we see in different generations as well. I think that wherever there are these very violent and very harsh persecutions, when you have these great saints that arise in those situations, those who are willing to, to suffer something for the name of Jesus, uh, that, that's something that really does bear great, great fruit. I think both because of, of the human witness that it provides and also I think the grace of God that actually acts through that and, and inspires many people to want to live the same way. You talk about the difference between red, red and white martyrdom. Can you explain that to the audience? Yeah, uh, this is something St. Jerome coined the expression. Red martyrdom uh, has to do with blood. Red is because shedding one's blood. So if you are put to death, if you're put on a cross, if you're, uh, you know, whatever it might be, the different, many different creative forms uh, by which Christians have been uh, killed down to the centuries, whether it was the beasts or the rack or whatever it might have been, um, that's red martyrdom. White martyrdom is a sort of persecution where you don't actually shed your blood, but you live in a constant uh, situation of uh, di discomfort, of harassment, of hostility, of um, people making your life really unpleasant and an unwillingness to change in the face of that. Uh, so these pressures that are put upon Christians, again, to conform, to accommodate, those who are unwilling to do so often live a sort of white martyrdom because 
you know, they lose their professorship or, or they, they, you know, are, are treated in a different way. And they're, they're looked down upon and ostracized because of those different beliefs. Persecution takes many forms. Uh, sometimes the more insidious, sometimes the more blatant and open and violent, but all of it constitute a way of bearing witness to Christ in the world and being willing to suffer something for that. Uh, Tom, can you hang on? We're going to take a, a short commercial break and, uh, and, and we're going to be back. I want to get into the, the last part is how to prepare for what is to come because you're saying worst is to come. Two things. Number one, want to make sure everybody uh, on Getter will be up all weekend and, of course, back here live on, on Monday. Um, want to make sure that everybody go to MyPillow.com, promo code War Room. There's all types of specials, spring clearance sales, all types of sales from Mike Lindell and the terrific team out in uh, in Minnesota. Uh, so go to MyPillow.com, promo code War Room. You've got the... Um, the MyPillow 2.0, this is the advanced technology in the new pillow. So make sure you go check that out. Check it out over the uh, holiday weekend and into next week. He's got a ton of new sales that are going to start Easter Monday and going forward. want to make sure everybody knows about that massive discounts. Also, the buy one, get one free. So support the armor-piercing show that is Mike Lindell and the great American manufacturing company. Because of your support, they've been actually adding jobs. I think he added 75 two weeks ago, 50 jobs this week. And uh, as he gets canceled everywhere, as he gets canceled in media, as he gets canceled in these different stores, he continues to add jobs because of the support of this audience. So that's MyPillow.com, promo code War Room. MyPillow 2.0. When you go to our square, they got all the sales, so go check it out. Also, uh, normally over the weekend, we do a quite in-depth uh, look at capital markets and economics, obviously, for uh, for Holy Week. Uh, we hold that in advance. We're going to get into much more of that on Monday and Tuesday of next week, but make sure you go to um, uh, birchgold.com slash Bannon. You can get all the free information, particularly it's a great time to start to study up, immerse yourself in all the information we're putting out there about the end of the dollar empire. Part of the reason that the Roman Empire was so powerful was its currency. The Part of the reason the British Empire was so powerful was its currency. The uh, dollar is under an, an amazing assault from what I call the Legion of Doom. A lot of this is because of the actions of the Biden regime and, and others on Wall Street that have gotten us into this terrible situation. Now more than ever, you need to learn and get the facts and learn the information. So the end of the dollar empire, the last episode, or the latest installment is called The Debt Trap. Make sure you download it. It's totally free. You can also get by your Birch Gold all the different information about precious metals as a hedge to inflation and a hedge to all the all the madness you see in capital markets today. And, you know, we should note that gold is... Uh, is nearing a uh, all-time high. So make sure you go to birchgold.com slash Bannon. This is all information. We don't tell you what to do. What we do is point you in the direction of working with the best uh, folks. They got an A-plus rating and Better Business Bureau. Short commercial break. A very somber message in the, probably the most somber day, two days, Good Friday and uh, Holy Saturday. In the Christian calendar, Dr. Tom Williams, a noted uh, modern theologian, is with us in a very disturbing uh, book, The Coming Christian Persecution. We'll continue on after a short 90-second break.
War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% and do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.